Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God together to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we had a wonderful time last night at our Christmas banquet. And uh, if you weren't able to make it, you sure missed a, a blessing. Amen. It's always, always good food and uh, good fellowship and a little Christmas fun along with it. And uh, we discovered a little hidden talent last night. We had three different artists on display. And uh, so that made it a little fun. We just thank the Lord for, uh, for, for that discovery and uh, the fun game we had. And, uh, and the winner, and so that was pretty, pretty neat, it's pretty neat to watch. A little anticipation at first, it kind of looked like the first team was just going to run with it, um, but the others started catching up, and then the last team just really took off and left the others behind, so it's, you just never know what's going to happen, you know, uh, in these Christmas games, it was a lot of fun. We're glad you're here this morning, and I know there's a lot of activities going on this time of year, and uh, so I just want to encourage you to... Uh, be faithful and, and uh, hang in there and keep Christ at the centerpiece of your Christmas in all that you do and all your gatherings and celebrations. This is the best time, the best time of the year to share Christ with others. So just remember that and take advantage of those opportunities that you have, uh, knowing that our time here is short and uh, we want to be able to uh, point others to the Lord and, and have, give them the opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior if they have not already. Acts chapter 2, if you're there, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll look at a couple of familiar verses here. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we'll pray first, and then we'll begin reading in verse 41. And I want to read verse 42 also. So let's pray, and then we'll begin reading there in verse 41. Father, how we love you today, and how we want to say thank you so much, Lord, for coming, for blessing us with your presence, Lord. Uh, for the life you lived, Lord, and then your death on the cross, your, your resurrection, Lord, all of that. We just thank you for it. This Christmas season begins our reflection on the details of those events. And uh, Lord, coming after Thanksgiving, we're just so grateful for all that you've done for us. And uh, Lord, this season enriches our faith and it reminds us what you've done and how good you've been. And we pray you bless our time in your word today. As we reflect and as we apply some of these thoughts to our lives in this season and the coming year ahead, we just ask you to, to continue to bless our families, our fellowship, bless our church family, Lord, how we just long to serve you and live for you. We pray we'd bring honor and glory to your name in all that we do. So we ask you to bless the reading of your word this morning. And dear Holy Spirit, as always, we give you this time and we ask that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'll be our teacher and guide through the scriptures. And Lord, show us what you'd have us do. Point out the things we need to know and remember and uh, those areas where we need to grow in. And we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. What a great passage of Scripture this morning. And I want to just uh, share with you some thoughts this morning from this passage on three ingredients of a close relationship. Three ingredients of a close relationship. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, 
As we look at this passage of Scripture, this is one that, that I have chosen to use um, in our new member class. And, and when, we, when we go through that, we, we go back to this portion of Scripture over and over. And the reason we do that is because this is the beginning of the early church. In the book of Acts, we see how the church flourished. Uh, back in, in Luke chapter 6, the Lord Jesus, after praying all night, he, he chose and called out. Uh, the 12 apostles. And uh, that called out assembly is what he began to work with to create what we know today as the church, the local church. By definition, the church is a called out assembly. And that's what Jesus did among among his disciples. He called out those 12. They assembled together and he began to teach and train them on the things that pertain to the local church. In the book of Acts, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit and the church began to flourish. And this is one of the first instances of that that we see in the New Testament. And so it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time where people are coming together, where fellowship is being blessed, where growth is taking place, both personally and corporately for the church. And uh, everyone is excited about what they're seeing. We all know that when churches grow, and you've heard different ideas about that, you know, quick growth versus slow, steady growth. And, and uh, it seems like we all favor the slow and steady kind. And the reason for that is because the church is comprised of people, right? It's the assembly that makes up the church. So don't believe any of that stuff when you hear people say, oh, I am the church. No, no, no. You are not the church. We are the church. And the church only exists when we come together, right? I, I, don't, I don't mean that the body doesn't exist outside of this meeting, but what I mean is when we're having church, it's when we assemble, when we meet together. So you can't have church by yourself out on the lake. That's not how it works, right? There's an assembly that has to take place, and God has called us to this assembly. God has ordained this process of teaching and preaching and personal growth to to, to happen and to take place uh, together in context. This is what we're reading about every time we go to Acts chapter 2. And from this, I want us to think about this matter of our relationships. How to have a close relationship. Before me on the communion table, you see the figurines in the nativity scene. This is a beautiful set that the says loaned us, by the way, to allow us to use uh, in our decoration. So I appreciate that. Thank you all so much. And, you know, we, we notice here these beautiful figures. You know, we have to realize, though, that that, ex- that is an expression of the Lord himself to be near to us. So what do we call it? His name is Emmanuel, right? God with us. What does that say? It says a close relationship. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross, to redeem mankind, because God created man in his image, and then Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. There had to be a way to bring us back together in fellowship with God. Jesus became that way. Why? So God could have close fellowship with us again. In Revelation 3.20, it says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. It's a beautiful picture of the fellowship that Christ wants to have with us, that close relationship. I want to ask you this morning, how close? 
How close is your relationship with Jesus? Hey, at this time of the year, boy, we want to say it's very close. I hope it is. Give yourself some honest thought and reflection on that as we close out this year and begin next year and evaluate how close are you to the Lord. And if, if, if you're not as close as you'd like to be, then I want to encourage you to do something specific, do something intentional to get you closer in the coming year. In this passage, I want to share with you a few ingredients of that close relationship and how it can help you. Notice in that passage we read, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. We see that pattern there, that rejoicing that they're coming to the Lord. They're taking these steps, the step of salvation, the step of baptism, the step there at the end of verse 41 of being added to the fellowship. Don't tell me church membership is not in the Bible. Right? We see the precedent of it being set right here. They were added to them. That, you know, this emphasis is, is, is mentioned several times in Scripture. Right? And, and, and uh, this is an important part of our growth and our fellowship. And so here, these folks are gladly taking these steps. And these are steps to bring them closer to the Lord. Because the more we practice our faith, the closer to the Lord we become. And uh, they are certainly doing that in the early days uh, of their salvation. Notice verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I like how those two go together. But notice, if you will, the word doctrine. Because I want to give you the first ingredient in a close relationship. It comes from the word doctrine. And, and the word I want to submit this morning is the word truth. Truth. You know what? If you're going to have a close relationship with anyone, it has to be built on truth. You can't be close to somebody and be lying to them all the time. You can't be close to somebody and be deceptive and demeaning and all of those things. You have to be truthful. And so that fellowship, that relationship is to be built on the truth. If you're going to be close to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to have to be uh, because of truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Everybody wants to go to heaven. The problem is there's only one way to heaven. The world wants to say, hey, you, you know, we're all going to the same place, so it doesn't matter how you get there. That's fine if you're going to McDonald's or somewhere like that, you know. But if you want to go to heaven, the Bible says there is one way. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. We know that there is but one way to heaven. There is some exclusivity in Jesus Christ. He is the only one. He is the mediator, the one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. The Bible says that of him. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He's the only one who qualified to become that payment. The payment that God would accept for sin. It's just like in that Old Testament story. When Cain and Abel came to bring their offerings before God, Abel brought the offering that God would accept. It was a blood sacrifice. God was teaching his people that it takes the shedding of blood to make an atonement for sin. But if you remember the story, Cain brought his sacrifice the one that was acceptable to him, 
not the one that was acceptable to God. And what happened? The Bible said God rejected Cain's offering. Why did he do that? Did God, did God have something against Cain? No, God rejected Cain's offering because it was not an acceptable offering to make an atonement for sin. Cain's method doesn't work, right? Some people have the idea that when I stand before God, there's going to be a big scale in heaven, and God's going to put all my good things on one side and all my bad things on the other side. And hey, as long as the scale tips toward the good side, then I'll make it. There's just one problem with that theory. It's not in the Bible. That's not how God's going to judge us. It doesn't work that way. That scale is imaginary. It makes us feel good to think about that and to hope we have enough goodness to get there. But the truth is, we don't. That's why God gave us the Bible. That's why Jesus came to die. Because we don't have enough goodness to tip the scale if there was such a thing. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is that? It's truth. And God is building his relationship with us on truth. That's why he gave us the Bible. That's why we have the word of God. That's why we have thus saith the Lord. Because God is desiring to be close to us. And when you want to be close to somebody, you have to be truthful. And so God is being truthful with us when he tells us that we can't get to heaven any other way. God is being truthful with us when he tells us that we needed a savior. That's why Jesus came and died on an old rugged cross. Because our goodness is not enough and there never could be enough good deeds to skip any, uh, tip any scale in our favor. Think about any relationship. It has to be built on truth. The relationships in your home have to be built on truth. The relationships in our church have to be built on truth. The relationships in our society have to be built on truth. And we all know what happens when truth is removed. Our media and politicians are doing that now. They're not faithfully giving us the truth. And what, what is happening? It is eroding the relationship that existed. Notice, if you will, the Bible says in John 8, 32, <clears throat> it is the truth, <clears throat> pardon me, that shall make you free. John 14, 6, I quoted a moment ago, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Where do those wounds come from? <laughs> they come from the truth, brother. You know, because there's a saying that's still true. It goes like this. The truth hurts. Sometimes it does. Don't run from the truth when it hurts. Why is it we go to the doctor? He orders us to have a shot. Oh, man. And we go out saying, thank you, doc. Why is it we go to the dentist and he says, oh, you need a feeling. And they give us a shot and drill into our teeth. And they cause all this pain and anguish. And we leave there saying, oh, thank you. But then we come to church and, and we get the truth and we get offended and we say, how dare he? 
Really? We don't go to the doctor and say, just don't tell me what it really is. Don't tell me, just lie to me. Right? We don't do that. Well, if the doctor didn't tell us the truth about our diagnosis, we would say he's not a good doctor. And I submit to you this morning that if the preacher didn't tell you the truth, he would not be a good preacher. You know, the same thing is true about our Christian friends. And as we fellowship one with another, expect the truth. And don't be alarmed. Don't be derided. Don't be offended when sometimes the truth hurts. Truth is the glue that holds a church together. That's why we take time in, and that's why we have, by the way, that's why we have a new member class. Because we want to serve truth from the very beginning. We want to be up front. We will, you know, good leadership sets expectation. And we want to do that from the very outset of the relationship. And we want to bring folks together around the word of God, around the truth of God's word. That's what binds us together. That's a close relationship. And that's certainly what we want to have at Beckwith Baptist Church. Paul asked the Galatians, after he had spent some dear time with them, teaching and training and preaching to them the word of God, after he had won them to the Lord and taught them, he went away and others crept in. And there began to be some untruths that were told and circulated. And Paul wrote back to them and said, because he said some truthful things in his letter, he then asked them, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? It's a question that you and I have to consider when we hear a message that's a little hard to receive. Is that preacher, pastor, missionary, evangelist, revival speaker become your enemy? Because he told you the truth? Your Christian brothers in Christ and your sisters in, in the church, hey, are they your enemy when they tell you the truth? I say not. And let's be on guard that we don't allow ourselves to ever get in the position where others become our enemy because they told us the truth. So the question this morning is, are you open to the truth? Do you love the truth? Are you ready to receive the truth? Because this is fertile ground for good, close relationships. And it all starts with Jesus. But not only that, there's another ingredient in a close relationship. Truth helps to build it. It's the ingredient of trust. I like, I told you a moment ago in our text, I like that the word doctrine and fellowship go together. There's no comma in between. So the Bible tells us that this group of people in the early church, notice in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles, watch this, doctrine and fellowship. Now why is it that they had that, they had that stick to it regarding these things? Well, I believe they also had what comes with the truth. They had trust. You know, as we receive the truth from others, and as we perceive the consistency of truth, we begin to trust the source of that truth. 
And I think that's why as believers, that's why we love the word of God, because we know that God is faithful and God will tell us the truth. And we know the word of God is true to our lives and it helps us to grow in Christ. And so we love the Lord and we love his word. And, you know, even though we have tough moments, we love those who are faithful in truth to us also. What does it do? It, it builds trust. Isn't it a great thing when you know you can trust someone? You can rely on them. You can go to them. You can share things with them. They'll be there for you because of trust. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. It says in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Isn't that something we try to figure life out on our own? We try to make sense of problems and storms and temptation and confusion. And we, try to, we try to use our logic to navigate through it. When all the time God says, just lean on that trust. Just lean on me. Acknowledge me. He said, I'll guide you. I'll take you through it. Why, Bill? Because he's the one that allowed it to come to us in the first place. And he will see us through all of those things. We can trust him. We can trust him. Brother Roloff used to say, trust him when you can't track him. He was a pilot, so he used to say, always follow the instruments. You know, and sometimes as a pilot, you, you can't see because of the weather. Maybe you can't see the ground or you can't, you can't really tell what's in front of you. You have to follow the instrument panel to know whether you're upside down or right side up or going north or south. You can't always go by your feelings because sometimes your feelings are incorrect. Hey, do you know in life it's the same way? Life, uh, sometimes our feelings deceive us. Sometimes our feelings betray us. Sometimes our feelings fool us. And we have to learn to follow the instrument panel of God's word and, and act upon the faithful precepts of the Bible. When we do that, we know we can trust God to navigate us through those treacherous times. God is faithful. Trust the Lord. You know, not only do we need to learn to trust God, and I believe many of the events of the Christian life are designed so to teach us and to develop that trust in God that you and I should have. The more mature we become in Christ, the greater our trust in him becomes. But not only that, it's the same thing that's true in our relationships at home. The more we get to know one another in the family, the more we trust one another. And the more we get to know one another at church, the greater we trust one another. It's the way it should be because good relationships, close relationships are built on truth and also upon trust. Notice what the Bible says. Go down a few verses and look at verse 44. The Bible says, and all that believed were together. They were together and they had all things common. Now, here's what's really interesting, showing the trust that they had. These were close relationships. These were believers that were coming together. They were in a different culture than us. And so many of them were being outcasted and ousted for their faith. Many of them were being put out of the synagogues and put out of their families. And because of that, some of them were in distress and great need. The Bible says in verse 45 
that some of them were willing to sell their possessions and bring their money and lay it at the apostles' feet. They were doing that so that that funds could be distributed, so that care could be given, so that everyone could be taken care of. Isn't that awesome? That is a demonstration that there was great trust among them. That's a powerful thing. Trust is a very powerful thing. We shouldn't take it lightly. Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 1, He said, You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What did all that mean? What was the message? He was saying, trust me. Trust me. I'm going away for a little while, guys, and I'm going to be preparing a place. And then guess what? Then I'm coming back to get you all, and I'm going to take you with me so that we can be together. Trust me. He was saying, let not your heart be troubled. Don't worry about all these turbulent times you're going through. Don't worry about all these things you're about to see. Don't let this shake you. He said, I want you to trust me. Do you trust the Lord this morning? Are you willing to trust the Lord? Are you willing to trust the people in your family? Are you willing to trust people in your church family? Hey, we have to be able to trust people. You you say, preacher, you, you don't know how I've been betrayed. Oh, I can imagine. You say, preacher, you don't know. I've been stabbed in the back, preacher. Oh, I know what that's like. Hey, just pick a slot that ain't being used right now, right? Hey, we've all been there, right? We've done that. But listen, don't let those kind of things and don't let those kind of people cause you to stop trusting altogether. Do you need to learn some lessons from that? Absolutely. Do you need to know that there are some people you can't trust? You better believe it. But don't let them cause you to close your spirit and never trust again. It'll ruin your relationships. It'll hinder your growth in Christ. It'll stop your spiritual progress. It'll limit your faith. And it'll hurt your family and your church family. Hey, we have to be willing to trust if we're going to thrive in Christ, if we're going to grow together, we have to have that element of trust. I ask you this morning, are you willing to trust? And let me turn it around also just for consideration. Let me ask you this. Are you trustworthy? It's not always just about you trusting someone else. I ask you today, can someone else trust you? You know, it's funny how we get all one-sided sometimes. And we worry about our ability to trust someone else. But stop for a moment and consider, can someone else trust you? Are you trustworthy? Hey, you know, every believer should, should desire to be the kind of person that is trustworthy. I ask you this morning, can God trust you? Can God trust you? Can God give you abilities knowing that you'll use them for him? Can God give you opportunities knowing that you would use it for him? Think about it. Can God give you experiences knowing that you will use it to help others? 
Are you trustworthy? Close relationships are built by truth and also by trust. You can't have a close relationship without it. It is essential. Trust. But then there's a third one. This one might be the hardest. I know you probably thought truth was the hardest. And then we got into it and you thought, boy, trust, that's the hardest. (laughs) Here's another one that's hard. It's called transparency. Transparency is that trait that we take on that allows other people to see what's real in us. It's when we're honest and truthful about who we really are and aren't. Transparency. I believe we can see that in verse 46. The Bible says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. It didn't say church service to church service. That's how we do it. But they were a little closer than that. You see, they didn't yet have their own building in the early church days. And so they went from house to house. It's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, today you, you can be a believer and you can, you can put up this phony image of this great Christian person from service to service. We can come to the house of God and, and we can wave our Bible and we can dress real nice and, and we can say amen and praise God. And we can say, you know, Lord willing and sound all spiritual. Hey, but what do, we, what do we look like and act like? What do we talk like at home? You know, if that's not the same as what we see here, then I, I'm submitting to you something might be wrong. And if the way you act and talk is, is different here from, from the way you act and talk at work or the way you live during the week, then, then something might be wrong. You're missing something, this component of transparency, of just being real, just being who you are. I would challenge you today to get real with God and get real with others. I would challenge you today uh, to let those during the week and those on your job and those in your home and those in your neighborhood, I would challenge you to let them see your faith shining through. If what we see on Sunday is really real, then let it out during the week. Be that person seven days a week. And walk with God and pray and talk with God and share Christ with others and say hallelujah and praise God, even if you're at work. Give God credit where it's due. Don't be so ashamed to talk about Him. Don't be like Peter warming his hands in the fire uh, outside the palace, afraid to be associated with Jesus who was standing on the inside. Be transparent. Just be real. Let the people you work with know, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a person of faith, and I believe the Bible. And because of that, I prefer to do it like this. Or because of that, I think about that topic this way. Or because of my faith in the Bible, I I, kind of see it like this. And it's a great platform to be able to share God's values with the world. Hey, can I tell you something as a Christian? The more you read the Bible, this book right here, you do read it, don't you? Right? 
We have to read this book because if we don't, then we, we, won't, we won't be aligning our values with his. And if you don't read the Bible and if you don't let God's word become real to you, if you don't saturate your heart and mind with this book, then here's what happens. Your testimony, your influence, your reputation becomes separate from the Bible. And then you're going to find yourself as a Christian saying things like, well, I know the Bible says, but I believe. Whoa, wait a minute. Did you just hear what you said? You just contradicted the Bible. Now, if I did up that up here, you would fire me. What should we do with church members who contradict the Bible? Shame on us if we do that. Hey, do you know what you're doing if you go to work and you say, well, I know the Bible says, but I believe. <laughs> you know what you just did? You just discredited the Bible. You just said in so many words that the Bible's not a reliable source of information. Really? Is that really what you believe? Wow, God help us if we're doing that. You say, preacher, that's kind of made up. I don't think anybody, I don't think any Christian does that. Oh, yeah, uh, that happened about a week ago uh, in front of my wife at work. Someone who claims to be a born-again Christian walked in and said some things. Well, I know the Bible says, but I don't believe that. Hey, let me ask you a question. The Bible says something, and you believe something else. Um, who's wrong, you or God? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Wow. That's why David, the psalmist, said, I esteem thy words, all of thy words, to be right. We have to approach the Bible in faith, understanding that this is God's word. He knows more than I do. If I disagree with the Bible, who's wrong? It's got to be me. Shame on us for thinking sometimes that we're smarter than God. The reason we don't agree with God sometimes is because we see through the lens of humanity. Number one, if you ever have a different opinion than God's, number one, keep that to yourself. Because you're wrong. <laughs> and when you get to heaven and you start seeing through eternal eyes, you'll understand why you're wrong. We're not going to understand everything on this side of heaven. Right? If we did, we'd be God, right? God knows, and we have to trust his judgment. You know what God's called us as believers to do? He's called us to be lights in the world. And we can't shine as a light. By the way, I gave this devotion last night in our Christmas banquet. The light doesn't originate with us. We reflect his light. And we can't do that if we're contradicting what he said. We can't be the lights of the world reflecting the light of God in us if we're going around saying, well, I know the Bible says, but I believe, as if we're smarter than God. Because to the world's eyes, that discredits the Bible. And by the way, you know what happens when we take the Bible out of the picture? All we have left is your opinion and my opinion. And we have no, we have no way to judge. We have no way to determine 
who's right? If any of us are right. We're just left in, in this muddy pool of opinion. And if you get in a room full of people and start sharing opinions, you're going to find everybody has one. And in this multitude of opinion, how are you going to find guidance and direction? How are you going to find ground to stand on truth? Hey, dear friend, that's why the early church was so excited. They were excited because they realized they found something, and it wasn't opinion. They found something solid, I mean rock solid, something they could build their life on, something they could trust their eternity with, and that was truth. And they trusted God to believe it. Truth, trust, and then transparency. Hey, can you imagine? Go back to that verse. Look at verse 46. Can you imagine these believers assembling together and having what we call church, the meeting, where we come together, you know, to study the Bible and pray and fellowship and talk. And that's what they were doing. Can you imagine them doing that? Not, not at the church auditorium, but in their home. Hey, you know, you can't really, you can't really see a lot about a person until you see them at, in, at home. When you see them at home... You're getting a lot more of a clear picture of who they are, right? And look what was happening here in verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and house, from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. How do you think they had favor? Because of this thing called transparency. They were learning one another. They were learning who they were in Christ. They were, they were getting to know each other in a deeper way. They were building close relationships because they had something that we fail sometimes to, to hold, and that is transparency. They, they just let the walls come down, and they just showed their real self to each other. They were just real with each other like that. They were real with God, and they were now real with each other. And those realities were one and the same. And the fact that those realities were one and the same bonded them together in a powerful way. You say, how powerful? Well, that would take a long time to explain. But can I just, can I just throw out something? When we go to Acts chapter 2, we see, we see these 3,000 souls added to the early church. So their attendance records went through the roof, right? We see in the next few chapters there were other thousands added, right? So this thing is growing by leaps and bounds. But, but all during that time... There's this connection that they have, this close fellowship. And it bonded them together so much so that it seems like when they came into the fellowship, they blended together so well, there were no hiccups. There were no disruptions. There were no confusion. Right? It was just unity and fellowship, faithfulness and service. It's a beautiful picture.
As a matter of fact, there were, no, there were no real problems in the church. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. They loved one another. They had these ingredients of a close relationship. They were getting close over this time. And, and the only problems that began to surface was when the church got so large, it was, it was now too difficult to keep up with everybody. And so in Acts chapter 6, we find that some of the widows got neglected, and that caused a little bit of a stir. And it should, because no one should be neglected when you come to church. That's why the Bible tells us to have the same mind one toward another, to, to mind the same thing, right? And we can only do that when we understand what the principles are and we're focused on them together. They certainly had that. Three ingredients for a close relationship. Truth, trust, transparency. That's why Brother James said, confess your faults one to another. That you may be healed. He said your fault, not your sins. You don't confess your sins to a man. You confess those to God. But, but sometimes we're, we're human, right? Have you looked in the mirror lately? We're, we're, we're flesh. We, we have faults. Hey, this may come as a shock to you, but you have faults. We all do. And we have to be willing to say sometimes, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it came across that way. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I did that. I didn't mean it that way. I meant it like this, and I, I apologize. That's confessing your faults. Brother James said that's healthy in these close relationships. And from time to time, we have to do that to be healed with one another and keep that relationship close. Don't let things come between you that way. The Bible says in verse 46, they were in one accord. So are you willing to be open? To, are you willing to open up to others and be honest about who you are with your church family, your family, your friends? You know, it's okay, to have, it's okay to have lost friends. It's okay to have unchristian friends as long as they don't convert you to the, what they're doing. You should be converting them to Christ, not them pulling you out and, and doing, you know, going against Christ or being ashamed to be known as a Christian. If that's, if that's the case, then they're influencing you instead of you influencing them. You have a problem on your hands. Amen. Hey, isn't church life wonderful? Isn't, isn't our Christian family precious? I like that little chorus that says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joined heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, because I'm part of the family, the family of God. Are you part of the family of God today? It says you may notice we say brother and sister around here. You know, I've noticed the world does that too. They can copy it if they want to, but we really are because we're born into the same family, right? The family of God. What a joy it is to be part of that. Let's have close relationships with truth, trust, and transparency. It is difficult at times to maintain those, but let's do all we can to keep those up front so that we can be close, so that God can use us to encourage one another, so that as we grow numerically and, and all of that as a church, that we're also growing in our fellowship and in our faith as well. Let's also trust God and be transparent with him as he has been with us. So we not only be close to each other, but 
We want to be close to God. Can I say this? You need to be close to God first. The closer you are to God, the closer you'll be able to be to each other. You've ever seen the relationship triangle? You on this side and somebody else on this side and God at the top. And the principle is it works like this. The closer you both get to God, what happens? The closer you get to each other. Right? And we want to play that out as a church family. Let's all grow. Let's all get closer to God so we can experience that closeness together as well. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for the privilege to be part of a church family where we can grow and we can grow in our faith and our relationship with you. A place where we can grow with our church family and friends, where we can learn to to have these attributes in our life and we can learn how to have good, healthy relationships and we can practice our faith. And we pray you just continually strengthen us and help us as we grow. Help us to grow together and grow as we grow toward you, Lord, that we might grow in our fellowship one with another. Bless what we do and help us as we, as we read your word and, and, and seek to obey it. Lord, give us the confidence, the faith, the assurance, Lord, that all will be well. Walk with us as we journey closer to you. We'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen.